a few weeks ago, <clears throat> I don't know, just over a week ago, I was with my father-in-law and we traveled up to Gettysburg. Uh, you know the site. I didn't realize that the whole town was basically a giant uh, uh, battlefield site. And we did all of the stops along the way and uh, we did the museum. And I, being there, I, I had heard the stories. You know, here's Gettysburg, this famous uh, battle of the Civil War. And so much of it was spent to turn the tide to offer freedom to our brothers and sisters in this horrific uh, struggle uh, here in conflict within the United States. But being there, you know what I'm saying? When you're there, when you look at the, the cannons, you look at the ridges, you look at the embattlements, and you start to imagine. As we enter this 4th of July celebration tomorrow, I wonder if you ever take time to do more uh, to imagine what it was like. To imagine what it was like for the struggle and the conflict and the decision to form a new nation, to break away uh, from the monarchy and the kingdom, and to say, no, we believe something different. It is not a divine right of kings to be ruler over us. It is instead, we are going to be a nation of the people, by the people, for the people, because we believe God has created all people uh, to be equal and that we have a citizenship. Can you imagine the weight of that? Usually when it comes to 4th of July, I'm just thinking who's making the hamburgers and who's bringing the hot dogs and where are we going to see the fireworks, right? That's usually what I'm thinking. But I think that experience at Gettysburg made me stop and think, what if I had been there? What if I had been in the midst of those discussions about forming a new nation, about the freedoms that, that, that really are innate to every human. These are God-given responsibilities, God-given rights. What, what would I have thought? What would have I have felt? What if I had been the person, okay, my signature would not have been as pretty as John Hancock's, but what if I was one that was representing the people and saying, yes, we're committing to this great cause? knowing that it would also be a great struggle. You know, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are also called to remember not just a birth of a nation, but really the continued movement of God that brought about the birth of the kingdom of God. And so we remember really what the Lord did. Can you imagine that night before the cross? When Jesus was gathered with his disciples, when, when he had brought his people together, oh, they weren't signing a declaration of independence. They weren't establishing a new government. They were being called forth into the establishment of the kingdom of God. But that night was filled with probably apprehension. They knew something was going on. Jesus' words were very clear. They knew something was happening. Can you remember? Can you imagine? Because we are called to remember. Let's take a moment to remember. Lord, teach us from your word. In John chapter 13, it says this. It was just before the Passover festival... And Jesus knew 
that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go back to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. Jesus knew this was that significant moment. And so it says this in verse 2. The evening meal was in progress, this Passover meal, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. It's interesting in that first establishment of what we call the Lord's Supper or communion, that first night, Judas was there. The one who would betray Jesus was there. Right there in their midst, sharing the supper, having the meal, being part of the fellowship, feeling the tension, feeling the weight of that night. Judas was there. It makes me wonder, even in those founding fathers, as they established a new nation, you realize that everybody wasn't on board with that, right? I, I, I guess I kind of glorify it sometimes and think that, oh, well, you know, they were all committed to the American cause. Oh, they were all the establishment of freedom. But we have to remember there were British loyalists. There were people that thought, no, this is wrong. Even for theological reasons, they thought the establishment of the country was wrong. Well, it really kind of pointed that out to me. I, I, I don't know if you've ever liked watching TV, but I watch TV sometimes. And sometimes it's neat when you have a connection. We had a former member of, a church, of our church, uh, of my former church. Um, a young lady was there, and she worked for um, this TV show. And I was like, wait, wait, you work for a TV show? Apparently, she was an accountant, and she made sure that everybody got paid. The actors had to get paid. The people that do the lighting, the sounds have to get paid. The cameraman had to get paid. And what she would do is when that show and that would wrap up, she would go to and find a different show. And so she moved around the country to wherever they were filming this particular show. And she was here in Maryland, and she worked for a show called Turn. And Turn was about the American Revolution and like this spy network. It was an interesting. I watched a couple episodes just to kind of see what it was about. It was pretty interesting because there was this tension between those who were loyal to the British and those who were not. You never knew quite who to trust. You never knew quite sure was somebody a spy. Were you not sure if things were, were, were really all on the level and we were all on the same page? Okay. Why am I telling that story? Well, it's because of this. On the night that Jesus would go with his disciples to pray in Gethsemane. On the night he would share that Lord's Supper. On the night as he would prepare in agony to go to the cross and, and to the... His betrayer was in their midst. There was someone in the midst that, that really wasn't a believer, that really wasn't a follower of Jesus. Si Satan had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. He already knew what he was going to do. Jesus knew it because, in fact, it says in verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. And so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, he wrapped a towel around his waist. And what did he do? Well, it says in verse 5 that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Washing the feet of his loyal friends, 
but also washing the feet of the one who would betray him. I, I can't imagine what that was like. The Son of God who deserved to be glorified, who deserved to be worshipped, the one who they had come to know, who could raise the dead, who could calm the storm, who could perform the miracles. This Jesus was wiping the dust and the dirt and the grime and the whatever else had ended up on those sandal-shod feet. This Jesus was on his knees this Jesus was before them, washing even the feet of one who would betray him. Well, Peter had enough of that. When it comes to verse 6, Simon Peter says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Lord, are, are, are you? <laughs> that's just not going to be. I have come to realize, I have seen you transfigured. Moses was there. Elijah was there. You shone like lightning. I was there. Lord, I saw you when you told the Jairus' daughter, little girl, get up. She was dead. We knew it, and she got up. You spoke the words to Lazarus, and he came out of the grave. We were there. I know who you are. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. You are the one to be worshipped. Are you going to wash my feet? No, 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 this isn't happening. You're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, you don't realize what I'm doing, but later you will know. Now, back in verse 7, it says, you, you don't realize what we're doing, but later you will understand. Well, we've been studying Jesus as disciple maker, and we understand, right? We know what's going on here. We know that Jesus was showing us as a model of what we're supposed to do, that Jesus, as our king, came to serve, just as we are called to serve one another in love and in humility. We are supposed to take care of one another's needs, not just when we're sick, not just when there's some great need, but in our day, helping one another grow in our walks with God and know God more intimately. We've got it. We understand this. This is one of the most clear passages of Scripture. It's one that shows the humility of God, and it shows us who we're supposed to be. We understand, yes, Lord, wash my feet. But Peter didn't get it. In fact, in verse 8, he says, You shall never wash my feet. You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Now, why was Peter so stubborn? Well, it was Peter. If you've read the scriptures enough, Peter seems to be very strong-willed, strong-headed, quick to answer, slow to think. You're not going to wash my feet. Uh-uh. I'm putting it. In fact, all you other guys, what's wrong with you disciples? <laughs> I mean, you guys are letting Jesus wash your feet. I'm the spiritual one here. I know what I'm doing. I, this is a test, and you guys failed. I'm probably passing because I realize I'm the one supposed to be washing the feet, Jesus. Let me, you're not going to wash my feet, Jesus. I, I, I get this. Or maybe, maybe Peter was just in awe of Jesus, like, no, 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 no. This can't be. And it's almost trying to be an act of worship, saying, Jesus, you can't wash my feet. You don't understand. You are the Holy One of God. I, I, I mean, I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. I don't understand why you're allowing me even to be here. Maybe it was true humility. Maybe it was pride. Maybe it was pride. Look, Jesus, I, I got it. I can wash my own feet. Do you, do you ever have, have that kind of like pride thing when someone tries to help you? You know, like when, like, maybe you're behind on mowing your yard. Anybody get behind on mowing the lawn? <clears throat> it's not me most of the time. But, you know, in the neighbor, one time I had a neighbor, all of a sudden, I, a neighbor back, this was back in New York, was mowing my yard. I was there. 
I was a little bit behind. I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed. And the per- I went out and they were like, no, no, I just, I know it's been a tough time and you've been really busy and I just wanted to, to, to go ahead and, and mow it. It wasn't that, it hadn't gone to seed or something, but I, I was embarrassed, you know? I can handle my own stuff. Jesus, I can wash my own feet. It's, I'll get to it, just maybe not now. I'll change that light bulb, Rachel, I will. Uh, Rachel, was, I got this porch light that's out. She's like, what light bulb is that? I'll, I'll get it, Rachel. I, I can change my own light bulb. Maybe it was pride. But Peter was saying, no, you're not going to wash my feet. And here Jesus says this. Look at what he says. Unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Okay. Do we take the Bible literally? You know, do we believe the Bible literally? Well, yes, we do, especially the parts that are literal. (laughs) When it says that Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead, he rose him from the dead because he was dead and he's alive. It's not a symbol. It's not a a figure of speech. It's not a metaphor. But then there are metaphors. When Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a man who went out to sow seed, it doesn't mean that the kingdom is actually a farm or actually a man who's sowing actual seeds, right? Those parts are meant to be figurative. There are metaphors. We take God at his word. We take God when he performed the miracles. Those are literal miracles. Those events happened. But there are parts that are meant to be taken figuratively. Here, this is one of those. This is one of those. Jesus is not saying that he has to literally come and wash each of our feet. Um, Jesus is meaning something more. Jesus is expanding and giving us a metaphor. And when he says he has to wash us, what does he mean? He means that he has to make us clean in the terms of salvation. That he has to wash us from the stain of our sins. The penalty, and he would take on the penalty for our sins. You must be washed by Jesus. You have to be. You must be washed by Jesus. That's our first point, that you must be washed by Jesus. In John chapter 3, um, Jesus says this, Very truly, I tell you, uh, that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. No one can come into God's kingdom unless they have this rebirth. This is the same kind of thing, this idea of a symbol, that we become a new creation, this washing of Jesus that takes away our sins. We're, why are we talking about this? Well, it was basically a year ago that we were talking about what does it mean to be a biblical church. And there's a truth that sometimes we want to skip over. That the body of believers must be a body of, are you ready? Believers. The Christian community, the church, have to be those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. That he died and he rose again. And that he's the only provision for our sins. That no one is in God's kingdom. No one is in a relationship with God unless they have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Now people might pray to God. They might ask God for help. And God might even answer their prayers and be gracious. But people are born or part of the family of God. They become children of God. The Gospel of John tells us in chapter 1 when they put their faith in Jesus Christ. They have to have a washing or birth and rule by the Holy Spirit. In theological terms, we call this a regenerate church body. The people have been regenerated or born again. Now, brothers and sisters, here's what happens in our churches sometimes. You ready for a mistake? Sometimes we start making excuses. Well, okay, so-and-so, they're not a... They don't believe 
in Jesus per se, but they kind of have this sort of heart for God, kind of. And yeah, yeah, yeah they're, they're one of us. They're part of our church. Maybe because they're a relative. Maybe because they've just been there a long time. Maybe because, brothers and sisters, everybody is welcome to come and everybody is welcome to participate. But those who are the church, who need to guide the church, who are, part, who are spiritually gifted as the church, must be born again. We, as a group of believers, have to be a group of believers in Jesus Christ. It has to do with the presence and filling of the Holy Spirit. It has to do with spiritual gifts. It has to do with God's guiding and leadership in our lives. We are somehow a new creation that God has made and put together. And unless we are born again, we don't function as a church. And sometimes the church gets off track. Sometimes the church loses its way. Sometimes, now, it, conflict comes with, even among believers. We can see that in the book of Acts. We can see that in the early church. But sometimes that conflict occurs because, well, believers and unbelievers are trying to guide an organization together that has to be led by the Holy Spirit and by the Lord himself because it's his church, his kingdom, his people. We have to be a regenerate church body. In the book of Titus, uh, one of the most important passages in, in our youth group last week, we studied this. Guys, you guys remember Titus from last week? Or was it Philemon? Okay, two weeks ago it was Titus. Last week was Philemon. I got that wrong last week too. Um, two weeks ago we studied the book of Titus. And in the book of Titus it reminds us this. It says, when, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, God saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. All of us needed the mercy of God. We've all done wrong things. He saved us through how? A washing and a rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. What happened? When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, we just studied this youth group on Friday night. We just studied this, right? The Holy Spirit comes into the life of the Christian. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are born again. The Holy Spirit comes to reside in you. What does it say about him? Verse five, uh, the next verse? Whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. Jesus died for our sins. He's the one who justified us or made us righteous by his grace. That we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Brothers and sisters, we have to stress these things. We have to teach these things over and over again. Because only in Jesus Christ do we become born again and become that group of Christians that we're supposed to be. Jesus uses the metaphor, I need to wash you, because if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. Unless we are saved, unless we are forgiven, unless we have the blood of Jesus Christ paying for our sins, we are not his. We're not part of the church. Even if we think, even if we have a card that says we're a church member, we're not really spiritually part of the church. And number two, think about this. He uses this metaphor of cleansing in this passage also to be this idea of cleansing, like a renewing, an ongoing spiritual renewal. Not just being saved, not just being once and for all forgiven, but having, well, that honest, ongoing renewal of our relationship with the Lord. Look how Peter responds. Look how Peter responds in John 13. Then the Lord said, the Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. I love Peter. I love him. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. 
Maybe that was my pride. Maybe I was just trying to show off in front of the other disciples saying, oh, I'm not going to get washed by you. Okay, okay. If I have to be washed by you, Jesus, then let's, let, let's get this on with. I mean, let's, let's get out the hose. I don't, whatever I got to get. I mean, is it a shower? Is it a bucket? I'll do the whole thing. I mean, what, a swimming pool. Let, let's get this whole washing thing done, Jesus. I mean, wash me head to toe. Lord, not just my feet but my hands, my head. Lord, whatever we got to do, I want more of you. Okay, some of you, this is the real point you need to hear today. How long has it been since you've just said, I want more of Jesus? How long has it been since you've said, Jesus, more of you in my life? Jesus, please, whatever I got to do. Hey, have I got to get up earlier to spend time with you? Do I need to stay up a little late to spend time with you? Do I need to, to walk a mile to spend, how about two miles? What, can I do something to be in your, Lord, I want more of you in my life. There's an old song, I like it. More love, more power, more of you in my life. We used to sing it as college students. We used to sing it back in the day, sitting around the campfire. We, and man, I remember those days. Has it been a while since you said, Jesus, more of you. I don't know. What does it take? Get out the hose. Get out the bucket. Whatever it means to be washed by you, this is where Peter's heart was. I want more of you in my life. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body was clean. See, Peter was a believer. He already was this new person, in a sense. The Holy Spirit had not yet come. That was not going to come until the day of Pentecost. But Peter was already this follower of Jesus. His sins were about to be paid for on the cross. God had already given him that status of believer. But he still needed to be cleansed. He still needed to have his heart renewed. We all need that constant confession I think this, this, this cross chart, as it's called, um, is an interesting one. Basically, the idea is this. When we come to Jesus, we see the, we see the need of our sin or, to be forgiven, and we think, yeah, okay, and I need to become more like Jesus. And so we, we, we think that, well, yeah, God's grace is like this big. But the longer we're with the Lord, the more we become like the Lord, we start realizing, oh wait, maybe I need more of Jesus in my life because there were more sins I didn't realize. Here's how I often describe it to, to college students like this. <clears throat> when I come to Jesus over here, I start my journey. I start my journey of becoming like God and becoming more like Christ and having my character changed, right? And I think Jesus Christ likeness is about where the pulpit is. And I think, oh yeah, see, I got it. Uh-oh. But the few steps I take towards Christ's likeness, the more I get to know who God is, the more I get to know his character, the more I realize that, oh, I'm a lot farther away from Christ's likeness than I thought. It's really over there by where Subway is. And the more I take a few more steps to become more like Christ, the more I realize, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Christ's likeness isn't where Subway is. Christ's likeness, if I'm really all those, the wickedness, all the evil, all the things that are problematic in my heart and my mind, really Christ's likeness is more up there in Huntsville, in Cockeysville. And the more I become like Christ, the more I realize Christ's likeness is probably somewhere out near Pluto. 
<laughs> which I still think is a planet. But it's out there somewhere. It's way beyond where I am. That the more I become like Christ, the more I realize I need that constant confession, saying, Lord, that wasn't the right attitude. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Lord, that wasn't the right desire. Fill me with your, your spirit. Lord, that wasn't the right perspective. Fill me with your word. Teach me your ways. In John, 1 John chapter 1, he, the, the, the gospel writer says this, if we claim that we're without sin, we're just deceiving ourselves, and that the truth's not in us, but, as Aaron reminded us earlier today, but if we confess our sins, He is faithful, He is just, and He forgives us our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. This is the cleansing that Jesus is talking about. It's not your whole body, but just your feet. That constant saying, Lord, make me new. Lord, make me more like your son. That's why Jesus said in John 10, or John 13, 10, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, Peter. You are clean, disciples, though not every one of you. And listen to this. For he knew who was going to betray him. That's why he said not everyone was clean. John makes sure we understand that G Judas was still sitting right there. He's still hearing all of this. He's hearing the predictions of the betrayal. He's hearing what Jesus would do has done. He was hearing about how Christ would come to make them clean. But his heart was hard. He didn't respond. Now, I kind of thought, how would we respond to this sermon? Uh, what's your reaction this morning to this sermon? As some of you, now I'm not a prophet, okay, or a son of a prophet, but I'm thinking some of you might be thinking, yes, yes, we have heard this quite often. Jesus died for sins, he rose again. Yes, yes, he paid the penalty. I need to love Jesus more. Sometimes I think my sermons sound a lot alike. And this one I think it comes up quite a bit, doesn't it? Is your reaction, yeah, I've heard this before. Listen again to that Titus passage, how it ends. Verse 8, this is a trustworthy saying, right? The saying that he came to washing, rebirth, and renewal by the Holy Spirit, having been justified by faith in Christ Jesus, we become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Paul says, that's a trustworthy saying. And I want you, Titus, the young pastor, to stress these things. This year, we have stressed the gospel. We have proclaimed the gospel over and over and over again. So that, what's the reason? Those who have trusted in God, that might be you. I hope you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Those who, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Because these things are excellent and profitable to everyone. The Apostle Paul actually tells Titus, hey, as a young pastor, you need to make sure you are stressing and teaching these things. You are reminding them of the good news of Jesus. You are reminding them of the role of the Holy Spirit. You are reminding them what salvation is about. Why is that? Because that is part of our motivation of why we do good. Because we need to be surrendered to that Holy Spirit every day. We need to want more of you in my life, Lord Jesus. We have to continue to move down that course. If we don't stress the gospel, we very quickly can become a church that doesn't focus on people coming to know the Lord, that doesn't focus on even having a regenerate church body. If we don't stress these things from the pulpit, if we don't stress these things in our teaching, if we don't stress these things... We can just become a club, a family even, of people who enjoy each other 
the gospel of Jesus and Jesus himself have to be centered in his, in his kingdom. Do you think we're preaching this too much? These things are profitable. We have to stress them. Okay, some of you might not be thinking, oh yeah, I've heard this before, but some of you might be thinking of, who do you think it is? What do I mean by that? Have you ever played that, that, that game Clue? You know, you're trying to figure out, is it Mr. Plum with the candlestick and the, you know, who, who, the whodunit game? Did you, you ever play that? My wife's extremely good at it. She grew up, my, my family was playing it one time, like me and my brothers and my parents and stuff, and she comes in and she's like, that's a bunch of amateurs. It's this person. She wasn't even playing, and she already knew the answer. She was like, could do it all in her head. She, she's really good at this game. She, the whodunits, be careful, and she already knows. But here's what I mean by that. Who, who was it? The disciples started asking, who do you think it is? Who do you think it is? In fact, look what uh, verse 22. His disciples stared at one another. Jesus just said, not every one of you is clean. His disciples stared at one another in verse 22 at a loss to know which of them he meant. And one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining, at the, at the, at reclining next to Jesus. And Simon Peter, here's Peter again, motions to this disciple and says, ask him which one it is. Is that one of the unbelievers sitting in the room? Are they unregenerate? Hey, who is... I'm thinking if we come up with an app. Could there be an app for like, oh, born again, let's see who it is. Let's see who it is. Uh-oh. Uh, surprise, surprise. We don't have an app for that. We're not going to have an app for that. Uh, we, we, we don't need to know who it is. But so often we want to point fingers. We want to point fingers. Let, let, let's try and try. We're not going to go on a campaign in this congregation to try to find out who's regenerate and who's not. And are we going to analyze? That's not who we are as God's people. But sometimes we are tempted to react that way. But I think the scary part is sometimes we're just what we're, we're tempted to ignore what we're called to do. And how our reaction should be is looking and examining ourselves, Because we all, the disciples all want to say, surely it's not me, Jesus. Surely it's not I. And in the other gospels accounts of this situation, when Jesus said there would be a betrayer, all of the disciples said, it's not I, Lord, right? Not, not, not me, right? Not, not me, Jesus. You're not talking about me, are you? Look at what Peter does. So many of us want to respond, surely I'm okay, right? Surely it's not me. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus says, where I'm going, you can't follow, but you will follow later. And Peter, trying to prove that he's a real disciple, trying to prove it's not him, Peter says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I am willing to lay my life down for you in verse 37. I'm willing to lay my life down for you. I'm all in. But Jesus answered, will you really lay your life down for me? Very truly, I tell you that before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. <laughs> Here, Peter, who was so like saying, I'm in, Lord, I want more of you, Jesus, wash me all over. Even that night would deny Jesus three times. The more I become more like Christ, the more I realize how often I deny him in my life. And so today, we remember, not just the birth of a nation, that's tomorrow, but today we realize, remember a birth of a kingdom. Has the kingdom been born in your life? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Have you been washed in the blood by putting your faith in Jesus Christ? Because if you haven't, 
Maybe today is your day that you would say, Jesus, forgive me. And maybe you are a believer, but you haven't been living for the Lord. Oh, you're already convicted. You've been convicted this whole time. You haven't said more of you in my life to Jesus in a long, long time. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in talking about taking the Lord's Supper, in talking about taking communion, the Apostle Paul reminds us that everyone should examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Brothers and sisters, as we come to this table, the table where we remember symbolically the death and burial of Jesus Christ, we are called every time. That's why it's given to us. Every time to examine ourselves. Am I truly a believer? Have I put my faith in Jesus Christ? For most of you, the answer is yes. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you go, well, but I've sinned. Yeah, I know. That's why he died, is your faith in Jesus. But we all need to say, have we confessed? Have we allowed Jesus to wash our feet, to cleanse us? Do we remember that he needs to be remaking our souls from the inside out, changing our character? Are we coming to him in confession and repentance? That's what this time is for, to remember what Christ has done so that we might devote ourselves to doing what is good. Would you take a moment to prepare your hearts before we take the Lord's Supper. And if you don't have one to take with us, if you want to slip up your hand, uh, we'll be happy to bring it around. Take this time to prepare. Apostle Paul tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this whenever you eat it in remembrance of me. Scripture tells us that in the same way, after the meal, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me.
For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, we want to proclaim. We want to remember. And we want to rejoice. Thank you for your death that purchased our freedom and forgiveness. Lord, wash our feet, cleanse our hearts, renew your people, and do your work in this place and this people again. We pray this, remembering Jesus and in his name. Amen. Today, if there's a decision you need to make, whether to follow Jesus or uh, maybe confession or renewal, I'll be here at the front. You come and you, the altar is open. You come as we sing and we rejoice in the forgiveness that we have in Christ Jesus. Joyful, joyful, we adore the Lord.